Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, I'll start off. I'm going to keep this real, real brief. Our plan today was, wow, we've been doing so much heavy news lately. Margin Call has been really intense and dark, and we're talking about the apocalypse, and every episode is about politics and how we're doomed, and everything's about the election, and damned if you do, damned if you don't. we got to do a pop culture episode. So we thought, okay, let's do a show about how um, you know there's, there's a lot happening in pop culture right now in, in our relationship to outer space. Space, getting out of here, the Earth is doomed climate change we can't sustain life here anymore and we've got a lot of television shows about you know maybe 10 years ago every television show was about the war on terror now it feels every television show is about like how are we going to create a colony on mars and uh it was a great idea and then i don't know if you guys have heard this but there's been some election updates lately (laughs) (laughs) and it would be it would really be foolish and foolhardy and irresponsible i mean the only person who would be talking about popular culture right now instead of talking about the election i guess would be like maybe fox news but even those guys are like seem to have acknowledged the fact that yes if you've been trapped under a rock um apparently uh joe biden uh was elected president and uh, he's now the president-elect i guess if if i'm breaking this news to you man you got problems (laughs) Uh, but we do have a responsibility to address that there are many ways to do it people were dancing in the streets yesterday i'm gonna stop short of dancing in the streets And, and in honor of that Although, you know, it's a big deal and it must be discussed. It must be discussed. Um, I, I've brought in our resident, I mean, not resident cynic, but just may, maybe our resident realist. Uh, one of our favorite guests on the show, uh, my cousin, Jordan Correno, a.k.a. Acoustics, on the show, Liverpool. Come on, you Reds. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks for being here. <laughs> yes, a little earlier than usual because not only Liverpool, but we got to support the Bucks. you know. Yeah. For everything yeah. in, the, in a year where uh, we're recovering as a country, the Bucks are recovering themselves. And so but I yeah. think it's a sign as <laughs> listen. And I've always said this as go Tampa Bay sports franchise. <laughs> so go the nation. You know? I mean, hey, so here's the thing. The two years that the Tampa Bay Devil Rays have been to the World Series are the two years in which a Democrat has Democrat, replaced a Republican president. So 2008, just- 2008 Obama <laughs> won. Although it's very important that the Rays don't win the World Yes, 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 yes. lose it then we'll get a democrat in the white house i also was gonna say the last time the bucks uh won the super bowl it was right before 9-11 it was like the last super bowl that wasn't like no it was it was was after 9-11 wasn't it It was it was after 9-11 it was 2003 and it was right after the dixie chicks did their whole thing because the dixie chicks were supposed to sing the national anthem at the super bowl and they got yanked People, you heard it here first. It all relates. The only thing that matters in political news is how are Tampa Bay sports teams doing? Flash how's Liverpool doing? I mean, everybody's staring into their crystal balls. Everybody, you know, everybody's got their tarot cards out. Everybody's reading uh, their their horoscopes. Have we forgotten the important relevance of how Tampa Bay sports teams are doing? Because as terms in terms of a lens to analyze the world, it's as good as any other. As I agree. I've, I've determined. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've been trying to get you on the show for a while, Mr. Acoustics. Can I call you Mr. Acoustics? Yes, you can. Yeah, okay. We've been having to try. We've been wanting to have you on the show because you're a great guest and we wanted to do pop culture stuff. And there's a lot to talk about in hip hop and there's a lot to talk about in pop culture. But the only real national conversation that matters or is relevant. Uh, is a conversation that grows out of the election of Joe Biden as our president. There are many different directions to take it. Everybody's having a conversation about what kind of president is he going to be? What is what is our current president going to do next? Is he going to somebody have to call the SWAT team to get this fool out of the White House? You know, uh, are, are those are interesting questions and they are very pressing. But I think it is also important to talk about what does it mean for people who um, finally, happily, gladly, begrudgingly, quote unquote, settled for Biden uh, and, and came in for the big win. You know, you were telling me earlier, Jordan, that you were driving Uber last night and you got stuck behind a, a Biden caravan in yes. St. Petersburg, Florida. First of all, I didn't know there was a Biden caravan anywhere. I've never seen a Biden. I've seen plenty of Trump caravans. Anytime you see pickup trucks with like Trump flags on the back, you think, uh, all right, well, there's going to be some 
kind of like violent action soon to follow. Now we've got Biden caravans. Tell me about being an Uber driver in St. Petersburg and, and seeing a Biden caravan. And what does that mean? What is a Biden caravan, first of all? Um, you know, I don't know what I expected. I guess the election was Tuesday night and, and, and part of you compartmentalizes it and like, oh, it'll be over by Wednesday. Right. But such was the nature of this election that it dragged on. We couldn't call the last few states. Who's going to win? And so it was Seth Rogen that tweeted. <clears throat> they waited to announce this on Saturday so we could get fucked up. <laughs> True. <laughs> and so, I, you know, it's a Saturday night. People don't have anything to do the next day. They don't have anything to do that night. And the election results come in. And I don't know if they sent out a tweet or like a, like a, like they got on Biden's little text app and sent out a text to all the Biden knights around and say, get in your cars, get your flags. People had them taped to the side of the car. They were holding the poles out the car. Some people, you know, St. Pete's a very uh, progressive city. So some people were waving their gay pride flags with the with the Biden flags. Um, There was people standing on street corners just waving flags. There was one lady who was uh, stepping into the middle of Central Ave and waving her flags so cars could honk at her. But it was mainly like old women as opposed to like old white guys with guns that you might be afraid would shoot you. I wasn't in fear of my life at any point in time. Um, It's hard. It's hard to be afraid of your life around Biden supporters. I feel it's it's like it's a very different kind of menace, which is like, (laughs) what do you actually believe in? Uh, You know, like. Because and that was my feeling, you know, and I won't lie and say like, oh, you know, I don't care. We're trading one villain for another villain. I don't truly feel that way. You know, I I had a similar experience. I live in New York City on the Upper West Side. Same kind of thing. People waving flags in the street, people genuinely happy. And they did have Biden signs. My read was not like none of these people really likes Biden. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody was like it it wasn't like the feeling that we had in 2008 where it was like, wow, man, like we like Obama is the president. This person is a great man. We're in the midst of like a dark economic period and we're in the middle of the war on terror. And now we have a president who we believe in who can like help us climb out of this and and help us feel good about ourselves. These really were just people who like hated Donald Trump. And it could have been anybody like really it could have been like John McCain. It could have been Mitt Romney. It could have been anybody in the world could have won. Won the presidency from Trump. You know McCain's dead, right? You know what? Being dead doesn't preclude you from being elected. President. You know he's dead because you he was alive for a second. You know, I mean, I use McCain and Romney as examples because I just think it was hilarious that they were the like old villains of of the left. You know, like in 2008, people were like, oh, McCain is a monster. And recently, I was you know I was thinking and talking about McCain today because you know Trump lost Arizona. Uh, I was like, that's weird, man. I wonder how Trump got Arizona. I mean, I guess, you know, there's a a lot of Latinos in Arizona. Arizona is kind of like a kooky independent state, you know, and I completely forgot that Trump has been like shitting on McCain and like dancing on his grave. And, uh, you know, even before that, ridiculing him for being a prisoner of war. Uh, And I thought that might I just think our villains used to look a lot different, you know, and now those guys look a little benign. Eming, what do you you got? Also, his widow, like supported uh biden like she came out with like an ad and everything for him of so course. That, that probably and, also helped and it, didn't his daughter i mean i feel like his I daughter i don't know if she did but i know his wife I mean, the yeah. whole lincoln project was just those old school republicans being like okay you know more important than using trump to get uh you know judicial seats and all this other stuff passed we have to keep u.s hegemony intact otherwise we're really gonna be up shit's creek that's and, true man and they all rallied behind biden because you know Biden is the most right wing presidential candidate the Dems have ever run. And so he was palatable. Is he he more right than Bill Clinton? I mean, everybody forgets, everybody forgets how Bill Clinton was like basically a Republican president. He, he yeah. just like he just like talked a little friendlier, maybe. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. was just after years of Reagan that we felt like, oh, this is a win. It's like, nah, Bill Clinton was the guy. He was like he was running on welfare reform. You know, like when's the last time you heard it's like a Democrat? Well, like, <laughs> I mean, Joe Biden has a career of talking about how he wants to cut Social Security and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, they might be sitting in the same little pocket there on, on the spectrum. Biden's problem is that he's just been in the game too long so that we know his deal. You know what I mean? Like so many other, like Obama was just like not a public persona for long enough. We're like, what is his deal? I don't know. Mostly he's been saying pretty good stuff. I just heard his name for the first time four years ago. So he couldn't have done too many wrong things. It's basically every mistake that the Democrats made in Washington for the last 30 years. 
Biden was part of it because he was just always in for the ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was like voted in favor of the war in Iraq, you know, <laughs> did all the same kind of stuff. Everybody hates Hillary Clinton for, you know, designating people, you know, young black men, super predators and, you know, creating mass incarceration. Like Biden was on that team, too. Well, yeah, Biden wrote the you know? three strikes crime bill and, and Biden more than yeah, just dude. voting for the war in Iraq. He was head of the Senate Intelligence Committee and he was banging the war drum on behalf of the Democrats. Of course. So like, yeah, yeah, he was. This is where we are. I mean, I would say even be, it's not even that ironic that we're finally like, oh, Biden's the savior. I mean, that is a ridiculous thing to say. But <laughs> there was a time early in Trump's presidency where people, Democrats, even even left people who weren't Democrats were like, oh, man, like I miss George W. Bush. Do you remember that? People yeah, were like he's been hey, rehabilitated. Yeah. yeah. George W. Bush was all right, man. You know, I was yeah. like, bro, you guys are tripping. I don't know what you thought. Like, I know that Trump looks terrible. He's like a disgusting racist monster. But like, like I would make the argument that Bush was infinitely more dangerous because he had a plan and he was surrounded by smart people who were basically yeah, implementing that plan. Yeah, yeah. Chang, right? Like uh, Trump never did he ever actually really get anything done except making us all hate each other. I mean, that's I a mean, big yeah. that's a big accomplishment making <laughs> us all hate each other. <laughs> but in terms of like what did he really do? He did the same thing any Republican president would do. He stacked the courts with a bunch of conservatives and he cut taxes. Like what what else what other legacy does he have besides just being like a universally hated moron? Maybe like a quarter mile of a border wall that's not even properly constructed yeah I, I think that was like made out of breadsticks you know there was no, <laughs> it's like a hologram you know yeah. they, they photoshopped it in there there's no legacy there so i mean all of this is to say is like who's the real villain and it's very easy no matter what's going on to say we're doomed you know i was the person you know deep in the obama years who was like yeah this guy's cool and all but he's terrible for immigrants and like you know if we're talking about like drone you know like the, the drone president it was very real this is the way that our system is structured in this country you're not going to have you're just not going to have a good president i mean I, i'm not saying that to be a defeatist and maybe we will have someone that we really love who changes the system but you know i know that you're a very anti two-party guy and you have been for a long time as long as we have a two-party system like we're, you're not going to get a savior do you know what i mean no, you're not yeah gonna get somebody who's going to create a real change especially not in the white house and i think that's you know that's kind of the like the point of emphasis going forward for like the american voter is like we're all on board the presidential election and it's great to see you know, 140 million people turn out for the largest voter turnout in history for the most important election of your life, as you've been told for the last three months. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, down ballots where it happens, it happens in, in the Congress, it happens in, in the Senate, the House, yeah. uh, it happens on your state level. Um, I mean, if your city commission has more power over your state government, which has more power over the federal government in reality. And if you went to your your local government and got stuff passed there, you wouldn't even have to worry who the president was. You know what I mean? I felt I think I've always kind of felt that way that we're really blowing things out of proportion by caring so much about who's president and, and like the power of the federal government. I was like federal government doesn't really do that much, you know, and I've said that for for a long time. The federal government, just whoever's president is just kind of a metaphor for where we are as a country and it will move things one direction or another. Um, but local government matters. I agree. The only caveat I would add to that is like when there's a global pandemic and like <laughs> like like hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Yeah. That, that's when you kind of do need a federal government because it's such a big problem that you need a comprehensive plan with the kind of resources that the federal government has. And if you don't have a functioning federal government, then just like many more hundreds of thousands of people will die. Yeah. So for the first time, maybe in my life, I'm like, hey, you know what? The federal government is, I mean, I'm not a libertarian, but I, I, I did always think the federal government was a joke. And now I'm like, well, you know what? You know when the federal government's not a joke is when something <laughs> crazy like this happens and you need somebody who knows what they're doing in charge and we don't have it you know and, and to that end i will say this for biden like i was glad that his acceptance speech like at least part of it was like hey guys don't forget like we're screwed like our, <laughs> our, our covid numbers are higher than they've ever been before and he like and, and he's like i'm starting this task force on monday i mean I, I won't say like i was lulled into a sense of security but i did think like you know what that's a real ass problem that we've been so distracted by um i it, 
even the numbers, like we're not even really, I'm not like a COVID person. I'm not trying to have a COVID conversation, but like the shit is real and lots of people are dying and it's a result of like not having a good national plan. So like maybe someone, even if it's an evil, quote unquote, evil Democrat who's going to perpetuate this horrible system, like who at least knows how government works and like trusts people and can implement a plan. Like, is that not alone, not a victory? Am I being naive here, Jordan? <laughs> no, I mean, I would, if you, you know, you give me the choice, who do you want in charge going forward of the whole COVID situation in this country, Trump or Biden? It's an easy choice. It's part of the reason why I voted for Biden begrudgingly in the end is because like, yeah, I much rather have a guy who at least even if he doesn't have a plan, even if we are fucked and no one knows what's going on, he can give off the, you know, impression of a plan that he has a plan (laughs) and that he knows what he's doing and that he trusts the scientists. Like, you know, he's not going to get up there and be like, the scientists are evil because they believe in science. You know, like that's just not something (laughs) I can really get down with. Well, you mentioned, I mean, all of that was just kind of an aside because you mentioned down ballot stuff. I'm personally very interested in that. And, you know, you are a Florida voter. Florida is a, a very popular state, a very important state nationally and locally because you got a lot of people and a lot of different kinds of people. What kind of down ballot stuff are were you looking at when you stepped in the booth? Like what are what were Florida voters talking about that wasn't the presidency? So there was like the three the three big amendments that were down the ballot was Amendment 2, which was a gradual increase of the minimum wage to $15 by the year 2026. There was open primaries on the ballot. Um, And then there was this very weird amendment that I don't know where it came out of, but uh, there was an amendment that voters would have to vote in two consecutive elections to approve ballot measures. So like you'd have to vote in this election. And in the state of Florida, you can only get an amendment passed if it gets 60% of the vote. So you'd have to get 60% of the vote this election. And then the next election, it would come up again and you'd have to get 60% again, Uh, which to me seems kind of ridiculous (laughs) because, you know, it just elongates the the whole process of campaigning for the amendment uh, and just complicates the whole thing. But yeah, so the main ones that we were looking at were those three Um, open primaries didn't pass, but it did get over 50%, which is encouraging. Uh, so in an open primary meaning like you don't have to be a registered Republican to vote for who you know could be a Republican nominee, right? Yeah, it was basically. top it top two open. So basically the top two parties, whatever that may be, of course, it's gonna be the Republicans, Democrats for the foreseeable future, you would be able to vote in those primaries without having to be registered to those parties. Right. That was a big problem in New York because um, you know, back in the Hillary versus Bernie Sanders days, you know, there were a lot of people who were independent voters who really thought that Bernie should be the Democratic nominee. They weren't able to cast a vote for him, you know, because they would have had to change their registration to be Democratic, which I mean, I... I, I don't know the status of the Democratic Party. I'm not going to make any predictions, but I just like the left and like the liberal energy, particularly among young people, has just seemed to shifted completely away from the Democratic Party in a way that, you know, maybe feels hopeful just because people aren't looking, you know, progressive people aren't looking to the Democratic Party to solve their problems. You know, and Bernie Sanders is an independent and I'm not a Bernie bro, but he's like a very interesting candidate in terms of like addressing people's concerns and getting people excited. I mean, I think that's a fine measure. How, how did it do? Did that pass or no? The open primaries, it didn't pass, but it got it got over 50 percent, which is an encouraging sign. Like, you know, it was more popular than it was in popular in a state that a lot of people will be moaning, condemn for the way it went in the in the presidential election. Uh, You know, we didn't help anyone out. I'm sorry. Apologies. But what does Florida have? I mean, this is kind of an unrelated question, but not really. What does Florida have to do to get respect, man? I mean, I'm like I'm at the point where I've just become a Florida defender where anytime somebody's (laughs) like, oh, God. Florida. I'm like, guys, well, you know, like it's just low hanging fruit, man. Like, have you ever been there? First of all, beautiful beaches. You know, second of all, very big state with lots of different kinds of people in it. Whatever you think Florida is, it's not. It's like Florida has just become like the insane clown posse of states. We're just like anybody can make fun of them. They're like, ha ha, like you're right. I, it's a complicated place. I'm not going to try to untangle it. But I mean, my God, as a lifelong Floridian and a lifelong proud Floridian, what what do you think you guys got to do, man, to get some love or compassion? I don't know, man. It's we are uh, the United States, Australia, you know, like everyone sends us 
they're criminals and they're least desirable people. And then we all mesh into this big boiling pot, like you call it. And, you know, there's more interesting and good things going on here than there are bad, terrible things going on. It's yeah. just that we have a lot of area that's the sticks and in the country and the good old boys and the panhandle is Southern Alabama. But I mean, you know, everyone was passing around that elect- electoral college map uh, recent or the, the election map with the, the blue counties and the red counties. Yeah. All, the, all the big cities were blue. I don't know what more y'all want. You know, we can't go out into the country and, and civilize it if you won't. If you won't yeah, there are alligators, man. It's not safe. <laughs> you know? It's well, a like, lawless swamp. How are you supposed to canvas? You know, like, what do you go? Excuse me, uh, Python, are you a registered Democrat? <laughs> yeah. But that's, that for me is like part of like another like issue with like, how do you get voters? To, you know, cause at, like the conversation here is like, why aren't they all blue? Why isn't everyone blue? Why isn't everyone progressive and leftist? And it's like, you know, people want to come out and look at those red counties and go, this is where the dumb people are. It's like, well, actually that's where they lack the most resources. Um, You can't blame poor white people for being uneducated when you don't give them an education, you know, like what are they supposed to do when they lack the resources, which is part of the problem with the democratic party and why we had to settle with this centrist Democrat and Biden to be the hero. And you, you know, you were speaking on it. Like, you know, the younger generations are moving left away from the democratic party. And it's like the Democratic Party is so concerned with with going to the right and appealing to voters to the right rather than coming back to the left and joining us and just calling people. And you're not going to win those people on the right, calling them dumb. And you're not going to build your base by calling them dumb. You got to educate them. You got to give them the resources. You got to pass policy that that births these type of voters and educated people that you want voting in elections. If you ignore education, if you ignore infrastructure, if you don't get the resources to the people, if you go along with voting for trillions and trillions of dollars in investment into war machines rather than into health infrastructure, which, by the way, if we had spent those trillions of dollars from 2002 up until now on health infrastructure, would this pandemic be as bad as it is now? Yeah. Um, I mean, these these are the questions that I never heard anybody talk about throughout the whole Democratic primary, you know, because the Democratic primary was completely consumed by how are we going to defeat Donald Trump? You yeah. Know? And it, it is I mean, that's tribalism and that's the nature of like partisan politics where you just like you have to create a straw man. And it's the same thing Trump did with Hillary. You know, Hillary's evil. Who cares what I say? Like, I'm the person who's going to beat Hillary. It's it's an interesting question on, on two levels. One, I don't know if you saw SNL last night, but Dave Chappelle delivered a pretty like out of this world monologue that was so bizarre. I couldn't believe it was happening on SNL. He said a lot of crazy things. I mean, I don't know if crazy is the right word. He said a lot of things that you just don't hear on television. But one that I thought was particularly surprising was his like level of compassion for like poor white people. And he's basically saying the same thing you're saying, where he's like, yeah, of course, poor white people are pissed off. Like they really are ignored. Like nobody cares about them and nobody's paying attention to them. And he's basically connecting that to the black experience. Like, yeah, that must be very new for you to be like a white person and realize like, wow, the government doesn't care about me. Nobody cares about me. And he cited a lot of things. He cited the opioid epidemic. He talked about how like life expectancy for white people is going down. You know, a lot of that is like post industrial stuff. You know, people used to live in factory towns and all those kind of uh, great lake states that we're talking about, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio, but that's true even in rural areas. Um, and I thought it was like a very interesting level of, I mean, I don't, I don't know if compassion is the word, but like insight because most people, who are progressively identified are saying what Hillary says, you know, which is like, Oh, deplorables, you know, poor white people are just like disgusting, ignorant racists that we should not embrace or, or pay any attention to, which I think is a huge mistake for the Democrats. And a big part of the reason the Democrats don't have a coalition anymore, really, except for an anti-Trump coalition is they used to be like union people. Democrats used to be like union party. It was like, all right, you're a working man. You're in a union. I can't promise you I'll help you out. Uh, but if you come in and vote for it, but those are gone. Unions are busted. Factory jobs are gone. That kind of industrial, like working class stability is gone. And that's where Trump supporters came from. You know, that's where the Tea Party came from. That's that's where Minutemen and anti-immigrant sentiment came from was a huge group of people that are neglected and ignored. And they've been kind of tricked into voting for people who are even worse for them, you know, by yeah. divisive social issues. So I think, I mean, that's a huge question for me is like, where is the compassion in the Democratic Party for people who are like poor and white and uneducated and kind of wayward voters? They're really like, you know, if you stand for nothing, you, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. Uh, and 
one thing that relates and I'll kick it back to you because I think county by county breakdowns are important. Like pretty much every county by county breakdown in every state, no matter which way it went, was every big city voted for Biden and every kind of like rural area or sparsely populated area voted for Donald Trump. Right. So we used to have conversations about red states and blue states. We still do say red state and blue state. But that, but if you look at a map of Alabama, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the ur- urban areas, even in deeply red states, are still blue places and they're densely populated. Like even if we did have a civil war, it's not like there's we don't have a Mason Dixon line where it's like one side geographically versus the another. This is like county by county, block by block. Like we are now like neighbors. And this is has a lot more to do with like geography and topography than it does with these like arbitrary red and blue states. So I'm glad you made that point. But I mean, you, so you're saying the same thing's happening in Florida, right? Like an area like Tampa, boom, they're going blue. Yeah. And then once you get into the panhandle or the, the redneck Riviera, as we like to call it, those, so, I mean, because they're sparsely popular and they're poor. Yeah, right? they're like, poor. They lack resources. Have, yeah, you're not going to have like a rich, thriving community that's voting for Trump. I mean, that's, it's like when Trump said, oh, the uneducated love me. It's like his level of insight is yeah. sometimes mind blowing. Like it seems like a very smart thing to like. It's, I, believe, it is. I, I think someone put it as he constantly blows up the subtext and like throws it in your face rather than just letting it be the subtext. He'll just be like, "Yeah, you know, uneducated love me. Yeah, of course, the poor love me. I could shoot someone on Fifth Ave and they wouldn't do anything." Like he, rather than letting it be the subtext, he just puts it out there in the open. Yeah. Or and it's like and so, and those are the truest things he says. Every, everybody's like, "Oh, he's such a liar. He never says anything true." It's like most of the things he says are lies, but some of the things he says are truer than anything anybody else has. Ever said, <laughs> you know, when when the CIA was was first saying like there was some you know connection with Russia, he was like, "Oh, is this the same CIA that said there was weapons of mass destruction in Iraq?" And I was like, "Oh, damn! <laughs> yeah, like, holy shit! You're right! Like the CIA is full of shit." <laughs> and you know, and his whole thing about trying to appeal to black voters, he was like, "He's like Democrats never did anything for black people." I was like, "Bro, you're you're right. That is a true <laughs> thing that you're saying, and it's kind of like you are pointing that out to people in a very like profound way." I mean, I would never say I'm gonna miss him. First of all, he's never going away, but oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. he'll be where, in the background forever and ever, even well, after he's dead, like the ghost of Ronald Reagan. You know, when are we ever going to have another crazy person who says things that outrageous with a megaphone? I don't like, are <laughs> never, we? Never. Yeah. You wait for it. Yeah, even? You think I'll, somebody say this. I'll say yeah. this. If the Democrats and I, well, I don't want to put it all on the Democrats, if the left doesn't properly organize in the next two to four years to produce some type of substantial policy policy and candidates that they can run. We are 1000% heading towards something much worse than Donald Trump. And that's just what we need to prepare well, what for. We're lo- what, I, my biggest fear is that we get a Donald Trump who's like smart and organized and gets things done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the only reason he was palatable to me was that he never really actually accomplished anything again, he, except for making us all hate each other. He was too <laughs> stupid to do any of the seriously cynical and evil things that we were afraid he could do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he and never he could never who, implement. He had terrible ideas, but you know it's like ideas are one percent inspiration and ninety nine percent perspiration. He was not interested in perspiration. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, I got another terrible idea for you guys to freak out about for a while while I just get away with you know whatever yeah. crooked shit I'm doing on the but side. I do want to go back to this the, the to the poor white people discussion, right? Because Please. the poor white people are a massive demographic in this country, and they have yeah. and they have now learned with Donald Trump that they have immense power. And, you know, the one thing they have is the right to vote, right? Like they don't have money. They don't have, you know, any capital. They don't have no healthcare. Yeah, they have nothing, but they can vote and they can make people upset with their vote. Right. And they, and that's powerful to them. And that's what 2016 Donald Trump was about. And let's be real. There was a record turnout for Donald Trump. He got the second most votes in the history of presidential elections this election. Yeah. So as much as this is a victory, we beat Trump. I mean, there was still a massive amount of people that felt either, you know, there's I don't doubt and don't deny that there's a, a large portion, maybe 25 percent of that pie chart for Donald Trump voters that are racist, nationalists. They want authoritarian government. But there's probably a large amount of those people that are so disenfranchised by the political process in this country that Joe Biden is the face of the establishment politics for the last 40 years in this country. And the only other option they had was Donald Trump, who is a political outsider. And those poor white people have been tricked. I mean, this is the oldest trick in the book. You look back to when slaves were freed and what you had happening was 
you had white poor white people, poor Mexicans and, and poor black people sharecropping on the plantation owner's land and realizing, wait a second. The black guy and the Mexicans not the problem here. We're both fucking poor out here. Sorry. We're both poor yeah. out here tilling the land, making no money. The real enemy is the plantation owner. And Southern – at the time they were Democrats. The Southern blue people realized, oh, no, we have an issue on our hands. The poor people are starting to intermingle and realize they have a common enemy. And that's when you had this whole idea of white supremacy take off in America. It was just a trick on the on, on a poor white person to get them to believe, as we see today, it's still the Republican playbook. The poor brown people are taking your jobs. They're taking yeah. your health care, your benefits from you. And it's not true. But the Democrats never really seem to have any desire to disprove that or yeah. even, like show that that's not true or like. Yeah, you know, I mean, because the Democrats do still serve the ruling class. I mean, I think like anybody in the two party system. System. If you're in Washington, your your primary concern is, you know, who are the like the dominant lobbyists, who are the loudest voices in Washington, and that's the ruling class. You got to take care of them, or else you can't get anything done. So that structure works for Democrats as well as it does for Democrats. Yeah. I mean, the, we, you know, the ruling class needs poor people to fight each other all the time. It's dividing I mean? conquer. Yeah. Yeah. Divide and conquer, you know? Yeah. And, that, um, and that is still alive. Sometimes you just have to change, like, you know, the you have to change the structure or the rhetoric around it, but the end result is just like, yeah, make, make poor people hate each other. And then the ruling class can continue doing what they want, which is, you know, I think is the premise of my favorite meme, which is the guy who's like hitting, taking a dab while like the girls punching the other girl in the <laughs> yes, face. And he's right? dancing in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dancing in the background, hitting the dab. I mean, yeah, that's the ruling class, right? The ruling class is like taking a dab, loving it while, you know, one group of poor people is like punching another group of poor people in the face because so, that's, that's how we preserve the ruling class. Sorry. I, would, I mean, I, I wanted to shift it a little bit only because I, I am an optimist. So I like the, I, I like thought, I like optimistic thought exercises. What if Joe Biden really is, ends up just being kind of a Trojan horse for like a new progressive left where he's like, all right, I just came in here because I knew only a white guy, old white guy could win. All right. So, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> and, and now he like, whatever stacks his cabinet with, you know, Stacey Abrams and AOC and you know what I mean? Like you bring in people who can symbolize a new like future for the left within the democratic party and do something impactful. Cause if if you think about it, who are the active Democrats? It doesn't really behoove Biden to like dig up all his fellow corpses to fill these <laughs> cabinet positions. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of interesting, cool young people in Washington now who are women, who are people of color, who are young and yeah. like truly progressive. He could create a cabinet that really does do something like the Green New Deal, that really does do something that would appeal. Like something like the Green New Deal is a great solution for poor white people who oh, really yeah. only just want jobs and like and like that level of stability. Because a lot of those poor white people were kind of were digging Bernie. You know what I mean? Like yep. there were there were Trump voters who were ready to be Bernie voters because that's, he felt like he was paying attention to him. But that's my point here is like like to bring it back to Florida is you look down ballot and then you look at the minimum wage increase that passed by over 60 percent. And yet you have the Democrats, you know, asking each other, why didn't we win Florida? Oh, it's the Cubans fault. It's uh, the socialist shadow that Bernie Sanders cast on the party. It's this. It's that. Uh, but well, how did minimum wage pass by over 60 percent then if the socialist shadow of Bernie Sanders was really cast statewide? And you really hope, you know, the hope is that Biden is a Trojan horse for the progressive left. But then you look at what the Democratic, you know, establishment has done over the last four years and they've just kind of talked down to the progressive left and been like, you know, centrism is the only way to victory and the only way we're going to stop this march to far right wing authoritarian government is with centrism. And it's like, well, you barely beat Donald Trump, the most deplorable <laughs> president in the history of the world with centrist de Democrats. Right. And then you lost seats in the Senate. You lost your, yeah. your lead in the House with centrist Democrats. The one thing that energized your base and energized your image was the the squad right and those were all women of color running on yeah. progressive ideas and like you said these poor white people that ended up voting for trump were just waiting to jump on to a bernie uh, uh ticket and yeah. vote for it um just for yeah. somebody to talk to them. Do you know what I mean? They were like, oh, Bernie, talk to us. I mean, he went on Fox News and had a town hall with their voters and their yeah. and their personalities. And actually, 
made some progress by talking policy, by laying out like, here's how we're going to help you rather than just going, ah, those are the idiots over there. We don't really need the idiots. But then you're going to you're going to, you know, run a candidate that's trying to appeal to the idiots on the right to get them to vote. Yeah. When in reality, yeah. like myself, four years ago, I didn't vote for Hillary. I voted. I went Green Party. Right. Uh, I am not represented in U.S. government. My ideas, you know, the, the things that I, I want done and accomplish. Uh, why don't you try to represent me rather than yeah. calling people idiots and then trying to run candidates that appeal to them? Um, well, part of it is just it's just impossible to build a coalition without lies. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because because everybody wants something different. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like even the three of us, we're all kind of like, oh, we have similar politics. But if, if we really get down to it, there's like tons of shit that we actually disagree on. And, and there are things that are more important to some of us than others. But we can all agree that Donald Trump is bad and we yeah. should have a president. And that's a very easy way to build a coalition. Because if you tried to build a serious coalition and you went door to door and you said, what do you really care about? There are going to be a lot of people who are like, hey, I really like socialist principles, but I don't like abortion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? For instance, right? Like there are a lot of value voters. There are a lot of people who are single issue voters. And, you know, a lot of times it's too easy to just give them up. It's like, oh, let's care. Like, like, why would we bother reaching out to people who are like evangelical, for instance, or like, you know, seriously, religiously inclined? What's like, well, you know, there's a lot within that value system that lines up with socialism. You know what I mean? Like you, you love Jesus, right? Like, yeah. you know, that means you're probably a compassionate person and you feel like we should take care of each other. And you can change your message to say like, hey, there's room in the Democratic tent for like, you know, serious. Uh, religious people, but they yeah. gave up on that. And now Democrats have in the same way, just like Hillary did four years ago, just gave up on working class white people and poor white people. Cause it's like, who cares? You know? And, and what all they really are looking for is somebody to listen to them and give them an idea because nobody's listening to them. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the same kind of things like young people years ago, you know, when I would first started working as a, as a political reporter, like in 2000 and 2004, like my job was like, Oh, you know, go find the youth vote. Right. And it's hard to imagine now but like in 2000 and 2004 there was no youth vote like i never met a young person who gave a shit about al gore or george w bush or john Kerry. they were all just like what are you talking about man like i can't think of anything less relevant to my life and then today you talk to any 18 or 19 year old and like it is so important that we have a strong political foundation for the progressive left for providing universal health care and like that's crazy to yeah. think that 19 to 20 year olds are like that well-versed in politics politics and you know it's like whatever you can talk about social media or you can just say it's like a more political age but they used to just ignore young people because they didn't vote now young people vote and they're really going after them i think it's the same kind of mistake to ignore poor white people and just hope like hope that they don't vote because that's what republicans did with black people they were just like all right well what if we just don't even try what if we just don't even talk to them and do everything we can to prevent them from voting or just ignore them and and the democrats will ignore them too and i fear that that's what's going to just end up happening to poor white people people i mean yeah i mean and, and because they are the like ultimate villain like like you know like we haven't figured out a way to properly frame uh the discussion of oppression in this country without bringing up poor white people and like yeah. making them part of the problem when really they're more victims of the issue at hand and you're right like you know it's hard to form a coalition around some of this stuff because on the left we're so fragmented it's like yeah. a, it's a struggle olympics and everyone has their specific topic of oppression that they're mm -hmm. going to rally around and what we really should do is you know i like to think of it as like as a tree and we're all on our separate leaves but if we trace ourselves back to a root we can find the, a commonality at the root and maybe start to form a coalition around that. And that would include poor white people who are disenfranchised, who are underrepresented, who no one really talks to. Um, I like this tree metaphor. This sounds like a stump speech to me. It's like, you know, like start start massaging that metaphor. And they're like, I'm Jordan Correno, Uber driver from St. Pete. I'm asking for your, come be a leaf on my tree, baby. I'm, a, I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. <laughs> I mean, in some ways that like the, a coalition, like a very real thing. Again, I'm not saying Green New Deal is the answer, but something like the Green New Deal is a coalition thing. 
They're like, yeah. what do you care about? I care about the environment. I care about climate change, right? There's so many people who are really invested in that issue. And you ask other people like, well, what do you care about? I care about jobs, man. I just want a job and I want job security. Like yeah. if you have a big idea that brings people into the tent, you're going to get young people who really care about climate change and you're going to get poor white people who just want jobs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like those kinds of ideas, that's what builds a coalition. Take all this federal money, give it back to people so that we can use it for things that people care about. And no one's had a big idea like that in a long time. Well, I mean, I think the Green New Deal has potential for all those reasons you say. What the Democrats, in my opinion, need to do is just, you know, the Democrats, every time the Republicans punch them, kind of go, okay, okay, what do you want? Like, you know, oh, stop hitting me. What do you want? And so anytime, like, so, like this grand idea that the Democrats could get behind and really build a coalition behind the Democrats or the Republicans just go, it's socialism. And the Democrats don't even do anything to deny the claim. They just go, yeah, I guess it's socialism, <laughs> you know, and like shrug their shoulders. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you frame this in the right way and you go, actually, it's job opportunity, it's work projects. It's investment into the American infrastructure. It's investment into the environment of, of the country. And you, you frame it properly and you present. Once again, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. A messaging problem. Yeah. And but the yeah. Democrats never seem really to want to get the messaging on, on the issue. Right. They're just content with the Republicans to go. It's socialism. And they go, oh, it's socialism. We can't do it. <laughs> well, is it. Is it enough that like AOC is going on Twitch and playing video games? Like, is she going to be able to be like, hey, while we're sitting here playing video games, like, did I mention that, you know, the Green New Deal is not just about climate change, it's also <laughs> about creating jobs for your future. Are you a poor white person guy that I'm playing video games with? It looks like it. Because <laughs> that's good messaging, right? Like when I look at, I, I use AOC as an example a lot, but there are a lot of young, like, you know, newly elected Democrats who are like that, who are women and people of color and young people. And they are like savvier with that kind of messaging. And People don't care about those issues anymore. Like the, every, anybody who remembers the Cold War is like basically about to die. Yeah. You know what I mean? So all this fear of socialism and communism or like that's it's it's going to go the way that terrorism is going. When's the last time you heard somebody nervous about terrorism? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's it's been a kind while. Of, it's kind of hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious, but it is kind of like, wow, man, like COVID really like the same way that everybody used to really be like, oh, what are we going to do about AIDS? Like there's this huge age crisis. And then like 9-11 happened. We're like, OK, no more AIDS. We're not talking about AIDS anymore. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> Yeah. And now it's like COVID happens. Like we only have like the bandwidth for one like great national tragedy at a time. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of feel like we've endured so many now that we can really refocus the conversation around. I mean, what better way to sell socialism or whatever you want to call it, you know, national health care or any kind of program like that than around a solution to a global pandemic and like what is going to be a serious economic crisis. That's the other thing nobody's talking about. Like we're oh, about yeah. to have a really oh. terrible, terrible economic crisis that we're, it's just going to punch us in the face. It's, it's basically like it's a donkey punch and nobody's seen it coming because we're all distracted by so many other things. But like, those are two things that are only ever helped by huge federal programs, which are basically yeah. socialism. So it's like, Hey, listen, everybody in America is dying of COVID. Uh, and it's, and two, our economy is in ruins. The only solution are these, and like, you think this is socialism. So what do you want? Do you want a, a, fat, a federal solution to this? Or do you not want a federal solution to this and message it in a way where it's like, this is why we have a federal economy. If we didn't, or a federal government, if we didn't, need big programs like this we wouldn't have a federal government so are you such an anti-socialist that you're saying like you're now libertarian and that we shouldn't have a president or cabinets you know because <laughs> yeah. i don't it's like calling people's bluffs like oh you hate socialism like all right well what about farm subsidies you want to get rid of farm subsidies like yeah you know, like exactly poor white people who like hate socialism like that's socialism bernie did a great job with that when the president was rushed off to walter reed to get like you know the best health care in the world to get better he was like oh yeah i'm glad they took him to walter reed read by the way that's a socialist medicine system do you know what yeah. i mean like that's a government funded medical system that has some of the best doctors in the world it, it you know people need to be able to communicate that in a way where they're not afraid and who cares socialism who gives well, a shit Here's the thing, then this is why the Democrats need to get fully on board with that young progressive left. Like again, AOC, Elon Omar, you know, uh Rashida Tlaib, all these all the big names in the Democratic Stacey Abrams are all these younger women of color running on progressive ideas. And you know the way you sell those messaging, and that messaging is you embrace the young generation and you you just meme about it. Like you the, gotta meme, make memes. the memes are gonna win it all. I mean, memes are the reason Donald Trump won the last election. And That's if true. You, if you paid attention to your Facebook and Instagram feeds, who had the spiciest memes this election? 
Joe Biden. Yeah. So we just have to win the meme war online and, and, and be clever and, and, you know, interesting about it, which, by the way, old white men that have been in the Democratic Party for 40 years are not going to do. They're not um, very good at that. Yeah, that's yeah. one thing they're not very good at. The only thing Joe Biden can really do to be cool is wear Ray-Bans, drive in a car that's a convertible and eat ice cream. And that's just <laughs> not going to get us any of the progressive policies that – not that we just want, but that we kind of need as a country to come into the 21st century fully and to ensure that we just don't fall into the depths of the despair. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that I actually forgot in this whole, I was very excited when uh, Kamala Harris was selected as his running mate, uh, partly because she's, you know, she's from the Bay Area. She was the district attorney in San Francisco for a long time. I had, you know, a short kind of professional relationship with her. I saw her work up close. Uh, so that I was like excited by the local aspect, but I had almost completely forgotten by the time election day came and they were giving their victory speech, how truly important and historic it is that now we have like a woman of color in the white house, like really, really for the first time. And her speech last night, I mean, I watched it with Sophia and she's like, you know, she's a woman of color and she was like, my God, like, this is real. This is a very real and special and important thing. And yeah, like Joe Biden is, you know, as, as the, the guy who works in the building next door to me says, Joe Biden's a chump. That was his, his line. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's cheering in the street. And this guy was out there. He's like a middle-aged, like Puerto Rican guy. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, wait a minute. What am I cheering for? Joe Biden's a chump. I was like, <laughs> Like, dude, that is the truest statement anyone's going to say say today. I was like, fine, forget Biden for a second. And like, you know, I'm not saying Kamala is the answer or her politics are, are perfect, but it is a very, very important, at least symbolically, that we have like a relatively young person, a woman and a woman of color in the White House. Like that means something. And that's why I'm kind of into this Trojan horse idea, which is like, yeah. yeah, maybe it's true that like this country really is so sexist and so racist that like a non-white man couldn't have won. That's a terrible truth to confront. But maybe Joe Biden really was the guy who knew that. And my my secret dream is like right after he's inaugurated, he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to resign. You know, like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm 77 years old. You remember like I like the Popes did this. Remember Pope Benedict was like, yeah. he's like, hey, guys, you know, I, Pope is for life, but I just I don't think I'm cut out for it. And then, boom, all of a sudden you get Pope Francis, who was the Obama of popes. Yeah. You know, like I, I just would love it. It would be the coolest thing Joe Biden could do. I don't think that's going to happen, but it is very significant in terms of identity and in terms of the future of the party that really the second most prominent prominent person in the in the party right now it, let a, is, is a woman, period. You know, yeah. just that alone. And I mean, I we think- We've been leaning on Pelosi pretty hard and she's really, I mean, Mm. I don't want to say anything bad about Pelosi. She's another San Franciscan, but she's really not doing maybe what we thought she might be able to do. Still very important that she's like prominent and she's a woman and she is a badass. Say what you want about Pelosi. She is a badass in her own way. I Uh, I respect her trolling. Like at the very least, I respect that she will use the the highest stages of our government to troll Donald Trump. I appreciate that. Well, you always respect a troll. I know that. Oh, yeah. I know that. <laughs> a good troll doesn't matter what their value system is. A good troll is always going to get your support. Yeah. But I, I just think that's a big deal. And I also I don't think that it's a cynical thing where Biden was like, "Oh, I got to choose a woman so a woman so women will vote for me. I've got to choose a black woman so that black people will vote for me." Like I, you know, I really think that in his heart of hearts, this is purely speculative and naive. But you know, that's a very powerful sign. I think. And I mean, it's it's very important. Representations always important and you know the the person that is in in kamala harris aside the politician or politics like you said it is important there's a 12 year old girl somewhere who may grow up to become our future most progressive president ever who's a young black girl who who just saw that and is inspired that's important because you know the future of this country isn't white (laughs) it just isn't and and if we're having a true representative democracy then at some point our government has to also become not white because the country just isn't white. And there's no such, really, there is no such thing as white, you know, in, in reality, but like, you know, it's, it's a helpful metaphor that's gotten, you know, an an oppressive racist regime this far. Do you know what I mean? So like we can say, yeah, white is a social construct. And like at a certain time, Irish people weren't white and Italian people weren't white, but there were enough Irish and Italian and Jewish and even Mexican people. Look at us. You and I are great examples who can benefit from white supremacy and, and are more, more interested in themselves getting ahead than like actually helping people who can't pass as white basically. Yeah. So I agree. White's a social construct, but it's a very effective social no, yeah, construct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, the, I, 
the point being is that it, you, I agree with you. It is important that Kamala Harris is, and you, you hope that there is this Trojan horse thing happening with Biden. There were some leaks before that he was going to do like Michael Bloomberg as the head of the World Bank, which is like, wow, <laughs> ah, no, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, we had there's like there was rumors that Elizabeth Warren might get a cabinet position. And I think you're probably going to get your most, you know, diverse looking cabinet in the history of America, which is important. Yeah. It is a small sign that we're moving in the right direction. Um, it is mainly just a gesture. Um, until policy comes into play. Um, Except that those people are legit. Like Elizabeth Warren is like the real deal. It's not just like, oh, where can I get a woman who's going to do whatever I tell her? Oh, no, it's very much based on merit. It's not just for it's not just for tokenism. Like, you know, Kamala Harris has enough to her political career that she deserves to be vice president. Nobody was celebrating truly like Condoleezza Rice being secretary of state. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a very big deal in terms of a woman being secretary of state and in terms of a black woman being secretary of state but in a lot of ways it was very clear that she was just kind of like serving the agenda of the project for a new american century so it's very different you know it's like you'd say the same thing about colin powell who has since redeemed himself but like it's not enough just to be a person of color just to be a woman you know it's like these people who are coming in and i account you know i talk about aoc a lot please forgive me but i think no, she's like she's an important figure do you know what i mean like she she I is mean, an important figure. So that's, it's another example of someone who's not just a woman of color she's like a person person regardless of gender and regardless of you know ethnicity who like has good ideas and gets people excited about politics do you know what i, I mean, mean aoc right. is like for me is a true american like you know she's not this like person that grew up in the halls of harvard and in weird yeah. s- sorority or a weird fraternity doing you know butt smacking with paddles in a basement and torches and stuff like that <laughs> you know she's just like an everyday american who was a bartender and was just like yeah. you know what i should just run like what happens if i would run and that's yeah. very important too is represent like a representation because my generation is still very much in this mindset of like someone else is going to do it for us like you know like yeah. the older generation is going to run someone for us and we can just vote for them and it's like actually you know we're all very much mature adults now we're between the ages of 25 and 40 uh it's about time that we start taking control of it and actually you know taking it you know like taking ownership of it rather than looking around i mean like the the generation younger than us is suing the federal government uh for climate change reasons and like we can't even just run for office like we're we're looking around like who's gonna do it please someone else you're squeezed man i would say mid millennials are in a tight spot man because it's like you almost have a gen x problem where it's like well there's a lot of us and we kind of believe something but we don't know what to do about it and then the generation ahead of you is calling the shots and the generation behind you is calling the shots and now you just don't know where you should should be you know? oh, yeah and it's because there's all these memes about like millennials like like applauding the i, I what do you call them gen zers the ones that are yeah. younger than millennials yeah. like go on gen z keep keep going after those baby boomers yeah get them go get them like, why um, aren't you doing anything man <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah. i like um, that i mean this point about ownership and like why aoc is important i think is I, that specific issue was my only real issue with bernie like i really like generally like Bernie Sanders is a pretty good candidate. He's talking about stuff that sounds like the future. He got young people excited about him. Um, But it did feel a lot like young people were like, Hey, there's an old white man who's been in politics forever who kind of agrees with us. Let's go with him. And like, that's cool. It's not really a knock on Bernie. It's more a knock on Bernie supporters who are saying, who could just say like, all right, why don't we just take those ideas and create our own candidacy around someone who is of our generation and build something? Cause you know, those old guys, they're just not going to be around that long, man. I mean, yeah, I I saw Biden running out for his speech. You know, did you see him? He was like jogging when Kamala called him out. He was jogging. That's great. You know, I mean, he, he, he came in like, he was, you know, like a wrestler, you know, about to take the ring. But part of me was like, oh, shit, don't fall. You're going to break your hip, man. <laughs> you know, like, like, is this when he has his heart attack and we lose him forever before he even gets inaugurated? So, like, yeah, you have to be future minded. And I think the someone like AOC is future minded where she's like she wasn't waiting around to find a candidate that she liked. She was like, I'm the candidate. And yeah. when, when, when does that light bulb go off? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. In some ways, I feel like that was kind of true for this political generation that Kamala Harris and and um, uh, what's his face Gavin Newsom grew out of right like that's my insight because they were both San Francisco City Hall people and I knew them as young people and at the time I was like wow this is really cool young people are running San Francisco and now they're running the state and now one of them is in the White House 
but they're like also not that young. They're both like well into their forties and fifties. And if we're going to have a big political awakening like this, like, yeah, it is time. Where, where is my like Gen Z, like prominent spokesperson? I, you know, Part of that is a problem because we ju- we've just had a leadership problem for so long. Biden is like the only I mean, we as a country, even not even regardless of political affiliation. You know, like remember Occupy? Occupy was pretty exciting. But it had no oh, direction wow. or leadership. It had no leadership. Yeah. And I guess I was like, well, is that part of the reason it's succeeding is because it doesn't have leadership and it's hard to destroy a movement that has no head? Or th- is the reason it never went anywhere is that there was never any prominent figure and there was never any list of demands? It was what? just like, we got your attention. Everyone's like, okay, well, what do you want? And we're like, well, you know, we're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the catch 22 about like the younger generations is that, you know, we're more and more left and one of the inherent flaws, I guess, of the left is like, uh, you know, a rejection of authoritarian authoritarianism and like, you know, yeah. So leadership by design is authority. And it kind of like, if we have a leader, then he's above the rest of us and we all need to be equalitarian, but like, you know, movements and, and political movements and that j- it doesn't work without someone like leading and steering the ship, Even you know, just a symbol. Do you know what I mean? Like forget whether it's the perfect person or not. It's at least like somebody who, you know, somebody like Ann Obama, who is a charismatic leader. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we just haven't seen that kind of charismatic leadership. And I I think that's part of the problem because I don't know, you know, for instance, like, let's say like Biden and, and Harris lost. Right. And we're like, okay, you know, we have to do another four years of Trump. (laughs) Like what would 20, what would 2024 look like? I have no idea. Like if they had lost, what would 2024 look like? I guess Kamala comes back. Hopefully Elizabeth Warren still had another one left in her. Like I, there is no, it's not like there's a bunch of new young people coming up who could potentially assume those leadership roles. And that, that's a real leadership is a real problem, man. I mean, the, the if we're going to have those young people step into the positions of leadership, there needs to be less friction for them to do that. The problem is, is a lot of these younger leaders have progressive ideas. And when they step to the only party that will even consider, you know, entertaining those ideas, they get told like, well, your progressivism is far too radical and it can't win elections. But like, again, I want to come back to the fact that, you know, Nancy Pelosi was very adamant that we can't run anything radically left because that's why we lost the election. Hillary, that Bernie Sanders touched our primary and it, it just poisoned it to the core. But your centrist Democrats lost at a high rate on Tuesday yeah. night. Joe Biden aside. And Joe Biden couldn't win in a landslide against Donald Trump. I mean, he won Arizona by 30,000 votes. Like if this yeah. is the most deplorable man in history, it should be a whole of a heck lot easier to win this electoral college than it was. It was a nail biter. It was more sweaty than it needed to be. And so if they hadn't won, your hope is, is that you get to look them the DNC in its eyes and go, listen, it's time to, to, to smell the coffee. You got to move left. It's not working. Like you squeaked this one out. You yeah. squeaked out an election against Donald Trump. I mean, that guys, you, that's not really a win. It's not. You and know what I mean? <laughs> and that's why when I look at everyone outside celebrating, it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm as happy as anyone that Donald Trump is gone. Like 100% the most deplorable man in the history of America. American politics and, and the office of the presidency. Um, but we eked it by, man. And it took a lot of people like yeah. me, you know, swallowing their pride and voting for him uh, to even to make that accomplish. It should have been a whole of heck a lot easier. Yeah. There's people dying in the streets. The economy's on its last leg. Like yeah. it should have just been like a walk up and win it thing. Um, and they almost threw it away by running the most the most centrist Democrats that they could possibly do. Um, and so the hope is maybe they look at the results and rather than going, look how well we did they go okay now there's some issues here and maybe we have to rather than pushing the aoc wing the bernie kratz to the side kind of embrace that ideology and think about how we present it to the poor white person to make it palatable to them yeah i mean i i am waiting for an election that is not that i can vote in that's not a hold your nose election do you know what i mean like i voted for biden i voted for hillary uh, I voted for John Kerry. I voted for Al Gore. Right. Those are those are the people I voted for. I'm leaving Obama out because he's that's a special circumstance. But those are the people I voted for. And every single time I got into the into the booth, even though I knew who I was voting for, I came there and I was like, well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. no, I, guess. I was never, ever in that polling place. Like, all right, man, like here I am using my vote to like support someone I really believe in. Yeah. You know, it was really just a long string of people where I was like, 
whatever, dude. You know, <laughs> like, like who, uh, who cares? Kind of, you know. And Obama was the exception for a lot of different reasons. One, a truly charismatic leader. One, technically a pretty young person, you know. And the fact that he was a person of color, like, and and I mean, it was such a dark time in our history that I really felt like this is a person because he was a unifier. That was what was exciting about yeah. him. And it really you know, was one of the first people to say we don't have black states, we don't have red, we don't have we have black states, <laughs> we don't have blue states, <laughs> we don't have red states. Yeah. You know, we we are United States, and that is like whatever. That's rhetoric, and that's like a cute little thing to say. But it was new at the time, yeah. And that made me feel optimistic. Everybody else, I was just like Al Gore, like who are you, man? Like John Kerry, like what? Yeah. And, and the same thing was true for Hillary, and I, I get it was less bad, I guess, for Biden, but still, man, like not nothing to be excited about. When are when are people going to be excited to vote again? Yeah. I do not know. <laughs> I mean, I, when I went to vote, I voted every other bubble, and then I went back to the first one, and I just stared at Joseph R. Biden or whatever his name is in the middle there, and I just stared at that bubble, and I was like, I I gotta do it for America. I'll I say that I was doing a lot of people. Eming, I think you were the one who shared a photograph of your ballot in California because Kanye West was on the ballot, and you were like, you're like, I can't believe this is real. It's hilarious. It was the first time I saw it. Was it. Weird. It was super. Yeah. I was like. What, which, 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 which mere universe did I just slip into? Yeah, weird. Exactly. Well, I, my response to that was like, thank God that that Kanye was not on the ballot in New York because I might have gotten into the polling place and been a little tempted to be like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> he got votes though. He got like six thousand in like he, California. He got a lot of votes in Tennessee. I know Tennessee was like his best state by far, and I don't understand the connection between t- Tennessee and Kanye West or why that would be such a love affair, but that's what it was you know Why not, man i mean I, like i'm surprised i i wish we had enough room in like our political news sphere to have a real conversation about what kanye west's election was all about you know like no one's actually really talking about it people are either just pissed off that he's like so bizarre that he potentially could have threatened a biden candidacy but like no one's really like i want to have six where's the 60 minute sit down interview with him where it's like we don't want to talk about your music we don't want to talk about your shoes like let, let's really take you seriously as a candidate. what was that you know and and how can we be a part of it is he yeah. our generation's ross perot is that is, is that's what people were afraid of, <laughs> or or Ralph Nader? I guess yeah. because uh, who knew who, who would he take votes away from? Both probably. Yeah, exactly. He, well, he, he was, was a big Trump guy for the. Exactly. Yeah, so he would get Trump supporters voting for him just as much as he would get Biden supporters. Like he kind of just like breaks even. He he might be the first truly third party candidate we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> he drew support from both sides. Yeah, right? example of that. Oh. It is very exciting, but at least it proves there's room for it somewhere. But but you know I, what I mean? Yeah, well, oh, absolutely. There's room for more party representation in this country. Yeah. I think that's a part of the political rehabilitation of this country is giving us more options uh, and also like making sure that information can get out there to the people. The reason that people talk so down on third parties is because they don't get access to them. But once every four years and then it's some weirdo on your Facebook timeline going, you got to vote for Howie Hawkins. You got to vote for Joe Jorgensen, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein. And you're just going, who are these weird people? Meanwhile. Well, don't forget about uh, your man. Uh, wait, who was the the libertarian guy? I always get him mixed up with his son, Gary Johnson the, uh, or Ron Paul. No, no, no. Ron Paul. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of Rand Paul, I guess. Yeah. Or Rand or Ron. But like that, I went to a Ron Paul rally in 2000. When was that? 2008. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really impressive. There are a lot of like young people who are really excited about like a libertarian party. And now when I think about it, I was like, 100% of them are now Trump voters. Like 100% <laughs> of those guys. Because they had that vibe. They were mostly like working class white guys. I was a 2008 Ron Paul guy. I was mad. I was yelling at my TV screen when the RNC changed their voting procedures to screw them out yeah. of the election and yeah. i voted for bernie so don't you dare paint us all with the same brush i'm not, I'm not painting anybody with a brush the problem is no one can be painted with any brushes because no, the, people true, who yeah. wanted, the people who wanted to be libertarians and kind of had some good ideas ended up being trump supporters so like what it's what it suggests to me is that there is room here people are willing to change their skins uh at any moment if they I mean, can find actually speaking to them the largest evidence of that is that independent voters are still the largest you know 
collection yeah. of voters in the country. Um, and so like, yeah, I mean, if you, if you're a Democrat and you want to win elections rather than looking at the, what is it like 30% of people that are Republicans, why aren't you looking at the 44% of voters who are independents and how you capture those people um, yeah. rather than always. Or if you're a third party organizer. Why don't you look into like who is not being addressed? Who is left out of this tent, you know, and create a new psycho tent or yeah. not psycho, just like a new coalition that really does address those overlapping concerns inexplicably between like young socialists and like disaffected white people. You know, like there is there is room there for a coalition of people who are not being spoken to. Yeah. And I mean, that's the hope for the next two, four years is that the left, my generation actually organizes like actually gets it going like the dsa is growing rapidly across the country the green party seems to have faltered but you know we need to organize and not just organize but organize under one umbrella like you say that we can bring everyone underneath rather than all of this fragmentation and hyper focus on specific issues let's find the commonality in it it's capitalism let's find the commonality in it and really attack it and show people why you fit into to these issues and how we're going to help you. Uh, because yeah, I mean, in my opinion, and it's been proven AOC did it, Bernie did it in the primary. If you run on the issues, if you run on the progressive issues and you present it in the right manner, you'll win. Yeah. They keep winning. They keep beating the, the corporate Dems. I mean, look what happened with Joe Kennedy up in Massachusetts. They, they spent so much money and Ed Markey still won. Yeah. So like, obviously you got to figure out that like you got to look at those and be honest with yourself. And if you're really interested, if the DNC is really interested in being the champions of progress and the progressive movement and taking it on board and more importantly, sustaining power into the future, that's the direction. Joe Biden got you through this one. Okay, but that's not the future, man. It's even Obama was like, Joe, just go into your basement and eat ice cream and be happy and old. You don't want this job, man. You don't want this job. So you were talking about being excited about voting. You brought up Obama and, you know, maybe my memories hazed a little bit. I wasn't able to vote in the 2008 election. I was just too young. Um, But I and I was also like very heavily influenced by my father, who was like Barack Obama is a socialist and he's going to give our country to the communists. But he won and he won very heavily in 2008 based on the fact that he did run on a lot of progressive ideas and like whether or not he actually acted upon them. And we can talk about the fact that he didn't act upon them leading to Trump, you know, but he at least presented him and he won with them. And that was 12 years ago. We're so much further left and farther down the road into accepting these type of ideas than we were back then. I mean, look at all the states just legalize marijuana. Um, Yeah. Or just (laughs) Oregon where it's just like all drugs. Right. And so we're so much further down the road than where we were in 2008, where people were genuinely excited to vote for these new ideas, you know, vote for different type of representation, younger people, people who aren't white. Um, And there was your answer to how you sustain power if you're the DNC. But then you get then that's when you get cynical. Are they actually interested in sustaining power by seats of government or sustaining power by means of economic system and stuff like that? You know, what's more important to them? And at this point, we're going to see because if they just do their centrist Democrat thing for the next four years. And then we come to another election and we just, we're going to get something worse. I guarantee it. So, um, yeah, the hope is the Trojan horse thing and, and Hey, DNC Democrats, liberals smell the coffee, please. The the progressive left is your friend. We're here for you. Come join us. please. Listen, the progressive life left might like antagonistically call you out on all your bullshit, but it's only because they love you and they want you to come in for the big win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, make friends, you know, we it's, it's, yeah. I mean, we're, we're called immediately after Joe Biden was elected. I was talking to my leftist friends and I was like, we got to go on the attack right now. There's no breathing room. We got to attack from the left and keep attacking from the left. Cause I know one thing about Democrats, if you make them feel bad enough about what they're doing, they'll coalesce to your wants and desires. They'll just, they'll just do whatever you want. Yeah, just exactly. Feel bad about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the Republicans do it all the time, but like, yeah. you know, Nancy Pelosi's like, we are not going to pass these tax cuts. I promise you. And then the Republicans go, 
shut up, you're idiots. And they go, okay, well, I guess we'll we'll figure out you're, a deal. You're right. We <laughs> done, that was a bad idea. Sorry. We're not going to pass the Supreme Court justice. Uh, I yeah. guess we are. Right. And then complain about how mean they are all the time. Can you believe how mean these Republicans are? They wouldn't let us have our Supreme Court seat. And then they took their own. Can you believe it? would be like, yeah, why don't you try that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just nut up one time and go no and put your foot down yeah. and, and stop. We're going to impeach him. I guess we're not. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> the takeaway is like, you know, when they go low, you got to go lower. <laughs> and then that's the last cynical thing I'll say tonight. There is there's a shred of truth there. Jordan, uh, I want to thank you for being here. This was a fantastic conversation. It's just what I needed. A dose of reality after being over the moon about Biden being elected yesterday. Still happy. You know, still happy. Trump's on his way out. Hey, but listen. Now, I took my medicine and you helped me use a spoonful of sugar for my medicine. I appreciate it. I'm excited. I'm uh, I'm more politically aware and mobile than I've ever been. And a lot of people in my generation are a lot more active than they ever been. And yeah, I mean, we no longer have to defend from the left. We got Biden in there. It's no longer just like holding our feet in the ground, playing tug of war. We get to kind of march it back to the left now. And I'm excited that at least for the next two to four years, yeah, we can attack uh, Joe Biden from the left and see what that does. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it, man. I want to thank you for coming on for this conversation. I want to thank, as always, our fearless, patient <laughs> producer. I wish you guys could see the video because at so many instances was Eming very politely rolling her eyes, shaking her head at exactly the appropriate moment where if I were a better person, I would have been rolling my eyes and shaking my head. Thank you, as always, to Eming, our producer. Thanks to our listeners. Uh, until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.